Hey guys, guess what? We still make this thing. It's the Geek Roulette Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Spragel. And I'm still the other host, John Lundquist. Neither one of us has died yet. No, 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 no. Came close. Oh, man. Whew. Yeah, yep. accurate. But you know what? We're back. It's been about a two-month hiatus since our last episode. Lots of changes in both of our lives. Uh, my schedule's kind of changed. John's schedule's kind of changed. Uh, the world schedule has kind of changed. But, uh, yeah, look, we got together and we're recording an episode. We made it happen because we care about all of you. We care about all you boys and girls because we care a lot. Yes, we care a lot. And I don't know what the next line of the song is. Mm, you failed us but, horribly. You know, I mean, technically, they just kind of say we care a lot like three or four times in a row. So, really, know. we're referencing the Faith No More song, We Care a Lot. You may possibly know it if you've watched the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. That's the theme song on there. And yeah, it is. You never I didn't knew that. Know that. Yeah. Goes to show how much of the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe I've watched. Uh, I'm going to say probably zero. Absolutely none. It's an interesting show. Well, it was. It's not a show anymore. But but hey, thanks for joining us today. Today's episode, we're going to talk about some things. Uh, We're first going to maybe talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness which is running a few weeks later than it came out. And we wanted to do an episode maybe a week or so ago, but things happen in our lives. I know I already used that excuse. That's a horrible excuse. We should have like fought through our adversity and delivered to people what they really wanted. What what do they want? Mm, Reese's. That's yeah. Everybody does like Reese's. Reese's are pretty damn good. Yeah. So we'll talk multiverse madness, but in addition we will also talk about the premiere and first few episodes of Obi-Wan, which came out on Disney+. Plus. Well, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, so, yeah, spo- spoilers for that if you haven't seen it, just, you know, because I'm assuming we're going to go whole hog on that. And, you know, spoilers for Obi-Wan, obviously probably spoilers for uh, Multiverse of Madness or whatever the heck it's called. And But that's a fair amount older, so you've probably seen that if you're listening to this, but... Just fair warning. You just said we're going to go whole hog on Obi-Wan. Yes, that's I did. I don't know if that's really a fitting. If you would have said like full Bantha, yeah, that would have been probably. Yeah, I suppose whole, whole, what's the, what's the Star Wars version of a hog? Uh, Gamorrean Guard. I'm sure. Gamorrean Guard. Yeah, I suppose. They've just evolved into like humanoids and they're Gamorrean Guards. Yeah. Hey. And they're surprisingly buff in, in the Book of Boba Fett. They well, they're kind of like that, like late seventies, early eighties wrestler kind of like buff and fat, where it's like a buff level of fat, where you don't know where the fat ends and the muscle begins. Yeah, the kind of thing like you don't want to mess with them, but if you can run away from them for a good couple minutes, you're probably okay. Yeah, they they look like they're gonna get winded pretty easily and just like, we're gonna give up now. You got away. Yeah, but if they do catch you, look out. You know, that's really weird that the only time we've ever seen Gamorrean guards is really just like in Jabba's palace. I don't think I remember ever seeing Gamorrean guards in any other aspect of Star Wars. Yeah, I don't think so. I want to say there's one in, a, I think, the Rogue Squadron books. One of them was a Gamorrean. Ugh, but nobody cares about because, books, John. Because I never read them. Yeah, I know. But some people care shockingly. I'm still surprised at all these people that, like, they just announced that uh, they don't something over the way. Like, young Jedi cartoon or something that's showing up and people are like oh i guess we're not going to see the young jedi book series get adapted and i'm like yeah but that was probably not going to happen anyway so just 
chill the hell out. Like they're not going to do all the expanded universe stuff. It's it, life goes on, people. I think like every um, sort of like fandom has that weird level of geekery where. Like, there's your, like, casual level of geekery. Well, all right, first it starts at, like, your parents' level of geekery. That's where, like, they heard some of the things, but they, like, reference them. Like, they're the ones that say, like, Star Trek and Star Wars references, and they mix those up and mix up, like, Gandalf and Dumbledore. Then you have the casual level, like, the people that, like, sit there and watch the movies. Then you have, like, maybe what you call your fans that are definitely a lot more invested. But then you go below that, and you enter in, like, the horrible hardcore depths of super fandom. And, oh, those are the worst those are the people that just the they're like the yeah buts it's like well you know i like star wars yeah but you don't know this (laughs) yeah the ones where if you're not on the same level of everything they are then you're not you know you're not a true fan because you don't know every single thing that you know you can't name off everything that happened to luke skywalker from the day he was born until the day he died and just it's like get over yourself yeah, it's that level of gatekeeping douchebaggery fandom. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm talking about you. Yeah, probably. A, housekeeping. We still have social media, Facebook, Twitter, Geek Roulette. Look it up. I ain't going anymore into that. Yeah. Yeah. We keep saying we should do something with that stuff, so I'll just keep saying that you know, you, we should do something with that how stuff. How do you know I don't? How do you know I'm not on Twitter? I know you don't have Twitter. That That is true. You could be lighting it up on Twitter, but... That, yeah, I don't do Twitter, so, oh, so I, I just, don't know. I just bash you on a just nonstop. <laughs> like, you, you, yes, you you absolutely could, and I would be none the wiser. Right, you just until, sort of until like, somebody were point out to me like, are, "Are you aware of what Mike's saying about you over on Twitter?" I'm like, "Yeah, kind of. <laughs> probably no different what he says to my face." Yeah, probably not. Nope. Anyhow, yeah, uh, talking about some things. Uh, you know what we should do? Let's do what? recommendations. Why don't you go? You go first. I'm, I'm probably because I'm probably gonna be weird with mine again because again I've been consuming <sighs> things that are like several years old. Oh god damn it! I mean, yeah, I can go <laughs> next. I'm gonna post about this on Twitter. <laughs> god damn it! Uh, I'm gonna keep it nice and simple, man. Uh, Barry season four. You know. I think the hallmark of good television sometimes is sometimes season, where... Is it season three? I thought it was three. Oh, you're right. Season three. Hmm, I want, yes. Well, they announced season four, which really, after watching most of season three, I don't know where they can go even further with this. Barry, if you are not familiar, it's a Bill Hader series about a former Marine turned hitman who decides he wants to become an actor, but his life becomes all entangled in all these different types of things, and... The third season uh, debuted about a month ago or so, and it's hit that amazing pitch of just awkwardness and just cringiness where you, you're finally at a point where you realize the main character isn't really the protagonist of the series. Or he is, but it's hard to cheer for. It's like it's almost at that level of Breaking Bad where like Walter White might be the main character, but he's not the good guy almost. Yeah, um... That that was actually gonna be one of the things. That that is one thing I managed to keep up with that. Um, and and if you want more, I think didn't we do a whole episode on Barry like a couple of years ago when the second season ended? Yeah, we did because I mean it I was a say, couple of years before since the last season came out. It has so yes, COVID like it's like something happened that disrupted entertainment. But uh, so yeah, go listen to that for in detail depth thoughts. But yeah, I mean I agree like Barry, 
this season in particular is definitely it's like yeah he's you still like him but it's like dude you, you need to come around like he's you know oh, I don't want to get too spoilery with it but the, the the last episode John I mean come on that right there was like just just the, like the last like I think ten minutes or so that right there was just one of those moments where it's like wow it's just so far gone yeah yeah so it's gonna be I'll be curious to see how many episodes is this season I'm probably eight or ten I don't know they could give me twenty that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that's usually what it is, like somewhere in that ballpark. It doesn't usually go too long. Um, but, yeah, Barry. Yeah, we've got, a, we've got another episode tonight. We do. Matter of fact, I should just, like, live watch this episode right now. And After we get done recording this, we can, yeah, we can live stream the episode, whatever it is, six or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Barry on HBO. Well worth getting HBO Max for that. Um, I agree. So I will make that a co-recommendation because, you know, I should probably actually recommend. But otherwise, I mean, the stuff I've been doing, like, I think I'm trying to remember, like, last time we recorded, I was if I was playing Breath of the Wild or not. But I've been I've been playing Breath of the Wild, you know, that game that came out like five or six years ago that everybody was like, holy crap, this game's amazing. Yes, I'm finally getting around to it. Um, I am currently working on the third of the what are they, the Divine Beasts, I think they're called. Um I've on the camel one, which is all sorts of like electricity and stuff like that. Um, it's been a good time. So, you know, if you're like me and for some reason have not played Breath of the Wild in like, you know, the five, six years it's been out, you should do that. Um, it seemed like there was something I watched on TV as well that was fairly old. But I mean, yeah, I haven't been doing much. I mean, it's been it's been busy trying to get used to the new schedule at work. And my daughter just had some surgery last week. So we're kind of working and getting her back to square one um so life has been kind of all over the place so um but yeah i mean otherwise yes you should go see like you know multiverse of madness and check out obi-wan kenobi all the stuff that you should obviously probably go check out if you haven't already if you're listening to this podcast but, Stran- uh, stranger see things season four the who and the what stranger things season four yes i have not started that yet i'm gonna i might actually start watching stranger things with my daughter starting on season one and i might wait till we get through and then get there so have um, you watched any of it Oh, yeah, I've, I've watched, yeah, I'm, I'm current on that. I don't remember how the last season ended off. I'd have to kind of go check it out and, you know, just do like a, a Wikipedia quick search if I were going to start it now. But, yeah, that one that one I am current on. I've, I've watched that pretty much as it's been coming out, sometimes not till a few months after it came out. But, uh, but yeah, that one I've, I've managed to stay current on. Um, yeah, I'll spoil it for you, keep you up to date, John. On the third season, that is the season when Hagrid found Eleven, gave her a wand, and says, You're a wizard, Eleven. You're a wizard. Yeah, I remember that. That was good stuff. Mm, good times. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I've just been kind of busy, and there hasn't been a whole lot of time for it. I've also been trying to keep up. I've been meaning to go back and read some like classic sci-fi. Like I started the audiobook for War of the Worlds the other day. Um, and it's interesting. Different writing techniques, obviously, since it's, you know, what, 100 years old or something like that. Um, but not bad. Not necessarily something that would come out today but it's interesting to see some tropes and stuff that you know we're all too familiar with pop up in there um but uh yeah that's 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 kind of stuff what i've been up to hey i'm gonna take this podcast in a weird direction because this was a question that came in my head last night it's been pinging around in there i figure before we go to our arbitrary list i'm gonna ask this to you john what political affiliation do you think bruce wayne slash batman is um, I mean, the obvious answer would be like that he's probably like a Republican of some sort just because he's rich, but I don't know that he would lean that, that, that way, but I also don't necessarily see him as like a bleeding heart liberal. He'd probably be more like, 
something in the middle, you know. I don't necessarily see him as a libertarian either. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's tough to say. I would say he's probably more left-leaning, but certainly not like, you know... He, he probably takes a little bit from each side is what I'm guessing. And he I mean, seems like the type of person that would actually research like their backgrounds rather than just going straight ticket or something like that. He would actually kind of research like, you know, Hey, this guy's tough on crime. So I want this guy here. This person's into whatever kind of social helping people. And so I'm going to vote for that guy. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't think he's necessarily had, he would, I don't think he would commit to one strictly one party. I mean, I think about it, it's like as a millionaire, he has to probably take advantage of a lot of, let's say, the benefits, like the minimal amount of taxing he gets and like the loopholes that helps him maintain his wealth. And you'd have to because he needs to maintain the financial states, you know, state to be able to finance his technology and everything else. Granted, though, he probably is a philanthropist. I said that word completely wrong. I'm not even going to correct myself. And he's probably donating money to various programs and everything, which would lean more a little bit to the left itself. I could see him being possibly libertarian sometimes about, you know, sometimes people trying to rule you know, themselves. But then there's the whole thing about upholding the law. But then he breaks the law. And, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's, like I said, I don't think he fits neatly into any one specific category i think he's kind of all over the place i would say like early batman like up through like the 50s and 60s was probably like hardcore conservative yeah yeah probably where, where, where did this come from did you read something or have a conversation with somebody else i can't remember i think part of it was i was sitting there for some reason like with all the tragic events that have occurred over the past week you know and with, you know, school shootings and everything, you know, I was sitting there thinking, well, what would Batman do if he was there? Because that's the random dumb thought that comes to my head. But then I thought about, it, you know, the whole political slants that are being thrown about right now. And then I thought, what, pol you know, political views does Batman have? You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like all I right. said, I'm sure he's all over the place. He'd probably surprise you on something. Though, Here, sure. let, let me steer this wheel back onto the road. There we go. All right. Oof. Podcast back on track. Uh, the arbitrary lists because of multiverse of badness. Uh, I figure, you know what? Let's revisit something. And I figured, let's talk about what our three favorite moments in the MCU have been. And these can come and culminate from, you know, shows, from movies, or other things. But MCU related. John, do you want to go first? Yes. For my number three, I'm going to go most of my, well, I suppose two of them aren't super recent, but my. Number three is fairly recent, possibly because of the, you know, it came out somewhat recently. That is uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. It just, it's not really one specific moment because it kind of happened. No, that's a cop-out, John. That's a cop-out. we got to have a moment. What? You can't just say it's not one specific moment because okay, that's then a I whole... will say when uh, Andrew Garfield steps through the portal and we get to see that, holy crap, this isn't actually, you know, our Peter Parker. It's a different Peter Parker. Um you know, or maybe just when all three of them finally get together on top of the roof up there. I'll, I'll go with that, actually. I'll go with when they meet up on the roof. They finally find, you know, the Tom Holland, Peter Parker. They have their little conversation. But, I mean, just in general, though, basically, it's just getting all three Spider-Men together. It was one of those things that was kind of hotly rumored the whole time it was filming. Everyone was pretty sure it was going to happen. But, you know, Marvel managed to keep it, you know, kind of a secret, but not really. It was kind of one of those worst-kept secret type things where everybody knew it was happening, but at the same time, not really. Um, so it's kind of cool just to see all three of them come in and see Marvel fully embrace the multiverse thing. You know, it's kind of been bandied about, you know, in different movies. It got first mentioned in, you know, the previous one. Uh, what was that one? Home no, Homecoming was the first one. 
far from far home. from home. Um, kind of got mentioned there when Mysterio mentioned he was there from the multi, you know, some al- alternate Earth. Um, but I think this, if I'm not mistaken, aside from maybe the what if show, is kind of the first time it was really fully embraced on the big screen. Um, and getting to see Toby Maguire, you know, uh, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland, all kind of do their thing. They each kind of had their own kind of personalities, and you kind of see what each of them had been through and kind of contribute to the situation and also kind of getting, you know, Tom Holland, Peter Parker back to where he needed to be with, you know, their talks with him was just, just kind of cool to see, you know, and granted down the road, if I look back, that might fall a few spots, but for now that's, that's number three for me. That's on my list. And I think the be specific, I would say it's actually when they're up in the statue of Captain Liberty, I guess the Statue of Liberty with the Captain America shield when they're yeah. starting to set up the trap. I think it's just like the casual conversation they have when they kind of just realize how different each of them are because of where their life has gone and their experiences itself. But I think it was one of those moments that made you realize that even though it wasn't intended to happen this way, it took some clever writing and I think it was a nice overall it was a nice overall, you know, just tribute to everything that's come before, like what the beginning of uh, superhero movies was to where it is right now. So, yeah, I, that was one of mine, too. Uh, what's your next one, John? My next one I'm going to go with, it's kind of the Empire Strikes Back moment of the MCU. Uh, at the end of Infinity War, when Thanos finally snaps his hand and everybody just gets turned to dust. And, and you know, it's that just that that downer moment, you know, which leads to the end of the movie where, you know, the heroes didn't win and it's like, holy crap, how are they going to come back from this? Just, you know, because I think you watch movies, especially these, you know, like these comic book inspired movies and you always expect like, you know, the good guys are going to, they're going to find, you know, yeah, sure. He's going to get the infinity gauntlet assembled. You know, that's going to happen, but they're going to find a way once he does get it to prevent him from doing what he's doing. And this is kind of one of the few times, you know, aside from, like I said, like say empire strikes back and I'm sure there's some other ones. Um, where the good guys don't win, you know, I mean, he snaps and he just disappears into a portal and you're kind of left at the end of the movie thinking like, well, shit, now what the hell are they going to do? You know, like he's still got the gauntlet. He's still out there. I mean, it's not like you can just, you know, wish all these people back, although technically that's, you know, ultimately what happened. Um, But they had quite a ways to go before they got there. And I think just that, that moment of, you know, that downer moment was just one of the more ballsier things I think they've done in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, we had to wait a whole year for that payoff on that one. So so that's my second one. My second one, and this is a spoiler from Doctor Strange, uh, we'll probably discuss more later, but I have to say the the revelation of the Illuminati, you know, pretty much. And, you know, having Jim Krasinski finally pay off as Mr. Fantastic after millions and millions and millions of rumors, seeing Patrick Stewart come back and, you know, you know, be actual Professor Xavier, to see Haley Atwell as, you know, Captain Carter. It was, you know, even bringing back, you know, what's his name, Superface from, you know, the Inhumans, you know, television show that yeah, bombed horribly. Yeah, Anson Mount or something, yeah, that's I think. It. I mean, just seeing that right there was just one of those great moments of seeing the possibilities and the fact that I, I think Marvel's just been waiting and waiting and waiting and finally say, yeah, these characters are there and... You know, it was such a great moment where, you know, seeing in the theater, just everybody was, you know, so elated just to see them all together. They got their asses kicked horribly, but we still got to see them, though. So that's my number two. Yeah, and we can talk more about that later, but that was was kind of, I was debating between that and the Spider-Man one. I ultimately went with Spider-Man one, but that one is, that was pretty cool as well. And But like you said, we'll get into that later. Yep. 
your last one? Um, my number one is probably going to be the same as like a lot of people's, possibly yours. I don't know. Um, and that's the just not necessarily the Avengers assemble moment from from Endgame, but just when the portals open. I think it's the on your left moment when you know Cap standing there. He's literally facing down all of Thanos's army by himself. You know, and it's you know it's cap he's you know it's, i'll do this all day or whatever the heck and it's, it's and the assemble moment that, john it's the assemble moment come on they've, it, it is they've been I, teasing I, I that, like they've been teasing that for like almost over a decade where oh they, yeah and to finally f- see and hear that actually said and not just you know for the avengers but just for the whole mcu uh, that's that's the moment that's number one. Oh yeah that's 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 the payoff but for me i like the part that i like the most is like when you see you know you see black panther walking through that portal and just you know, everybody else coming through, that's... And the event, you know, Avengers Assemble at the end is the payoff to just, like, he's 10 years. But for me, it's the the portals coming through I like like more. But the whole scene, you know, that whole two, three-minute scene, whatever it is, is, you know, yeah, number one. It's the Assemble, John. It's the Assemble. Assemble Avengers. I did see something funny, too, though, speaking of that, like how you were just whispering, is that, like, the way he kind of says it, he's just like, Avengers, assemble. And it's like, did anybody actually hear him say that? Like, he's not on, like, a radio or anything. But, yeah. Well, wait a second, though, because he heard the earpiece on your left, so maybe they all had earpieces and microphones well, and Bluetooth. That could be. Huh? Even the people, I suppose, Falcon, I was going to say, even the people that were gone for five years or whatever, but I suppose Falcon was gone for five years, and he got in there, so maybe they just didn't change the password or something. Well, no, when they blinked back in existence, their Bluetooth had the same charge it did when it was blinked out of existence. You might be right there. We'll just we'll go with that. Right. I'll connect the dots on that science right there. Bluetooth technology. Snap proof. Yes. Uh, let's talk about Multiverse of Madness. Um, I would say this, kind of launch into this, is that this is, I think, the one thing that you've often heard rumbles of over maybe the past 10 years of Marvel movies is that you, you've seen some higher-profile names come in to possibly work in the movies, and you've seen them leave. Like Most notably, a lot of people were rather upset that uh, Edgar Wright, you know, was going to direct Ant-Man, but then he left because of creative differences where more or less it's like, you know, they didn't want me to make the movie I wanted to make. So some people have said that Marvel tends to be, has movies that tend to be very formulaic and have to follow certain sort of beats and styles and everything else. And I don't know if I necessarily buy that. Like a good example is I feel that some directors have had the freedom to impose their own type of sense of personality. James Gunn, as an example, I think has done great things. Thor Ragnarok, come on, that one right there is just, you know, bleeding with a lot of the style in there. I think what it is is almost like the directors who came in at kind of having a really well-known name, you know, like Taika Waititi, you know, uh, James Gunn, those I think they've, They've almost had, you know, they've had the influence to kind of show, let their influence show, you know, which is kind of what I think you're building up to. But some of them, you know, like the Russos were a known known quantity, but they hadn't really done a whole lot, I don't think, up until, what was their first one? Was it oh, come Winter on. Soldier was their first one? They did Winter Soldier, but come on, they did Community. Yes, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, and, and those ones maybe are the ones where people are like, oh, they're more formulaic, and that's maybe where Marvel and their, you know, Kevin Feige might more push over, you know, like, okay, this is what we're doing, you know. So, I don't know. I, I think, you know, all of that being said, I will say that this is definitely a Sam Raimi Marvel movie. This is where 
you know, if you want to say that directors don't have the ability to put like a lot of their influence or spin onto things, I would highly disagree when you see like Multiverse of Madness and just how many of the weird beats that Sam Raimi has been known for permeates throughout the entire movie. I mean, would you agree, disagree? No, this was definitely a Sam Raimi-ass movie from the point where, which I wasn't even aware was the thing I was supposed to be looking for, like that car that's apparently in every single one of his movies is there. You had Bruce Campbell, you had, you know, that quick little thing at the end he does, the, you know, the little gotcha moment at the end of the movie, and just, just it was it was Sam Raimi. Like, if I didn't know that this was a Sam Raimi movie, and having watched it, I would have been like, this seemed an awful lot like Sam Raimi directed, because his, his fingerprints were all over this thing, even without just all the little cameos, just his style was was all over and it was better for it i think i think the movie itself was fairly well reviewed there were some reviews i think that were very tough on this movie and i feel that i can get why some people wouldn't like this movie because some people felt there were certain elements of it that were kind of a little bit more hokey and campy but again that's sam raimi you know i mean you're talking a guy that made horror movies that were just kind of weird, goofy, tongue-in-cheek kind of horror movies, and there was a lot of those moments that were present in this movie. And I, I can see why some people might have been turned off by that. I can see why some people might have been turned off by more of the actual... I, I wouldn't say it was extreme, but I would say some of the horror aspects of the actual movie itself. I wouldn't say it's any more horror than what you've seen out of, like, say, the Evil Dead series with Sam Raimi, but... It, it, it was there, and I can see again how, like, I had to sit there and think, like, would I bring my oldest son to watch this? And would he, would he be kind of freaked out about, about it a little? I kind of think he would be, but that's also because he doesn't watch a lot of horror movies itself. You know, I, I'd watch it as being tongue-in-cheek, yeah. but there was definitely, yeah, I, I think, I, some dark moments in it. No, there definitely are. Like, I brought my daughter to see it, and she's 13, um, and she brought a friend because originally we were supposed to, it was supposed to be our whole family. It was supposed to be me, my, you know, Mariah and the two kids, but I can't remember something happened where, where my son and Mariah couldn't go with, um, I think he had a soccer game or something maybe. But, uh, so my daughter ended up taking one of her friends and it's going through. I'm like, yeah, I wonder if I'm going to hear from this girl's parents or something. Cause they're, it's not super bad, but it's the type of thing that if you're one of the more conservative parents or something like that, you might be like, you know, there's probably some objectable stuff in here. Um, it's definitely a lot more horror and a lot more gore than, than most of your Marvel movies have, I think, or probably any of them, really. Um, but not to the point, you know, I mean, it, it, this one definitely earned its PG-13 rating, I think. this, you right. know, it, Whereas I think some, you know, you could argue some of the Marvel movies, ah, eh, this probably could have been PG or something like that. This this definitely earns that PG-13. To give the quick one-minute summary to the movie, five years, you know, over five years later, you know, you see Strange getting ready for a wedding, but it's not his wedding. It's Christine's who's marrying somebody else because she got together with somebody when he was gone for five years. In addition, you see a different Doctor Strange with, of course, America Chavez, who's in a different universe fighting, of course, Dark Evil's trying to get to the Visanti book. They do so, but unfortunately failed. America Chavez gets thrown into a different dimension. And of course, then it turns out into an entire thing where they're trying to figure out who's right now trying to get her. It turns out, guess what? It's Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch has gone full-blown evil, and she's trying to get her to be able to reunite with her kids. But but they have to go through various multiverse to try to find where the book is, but all while trying to, of course, avoid Scarlet Witch. They have a lot of different things. And, of course, you know, Doctor Strange learns a valuable lesson about, you know, being selfless and, of course, sacrifice. And in the end of the game, guess what? All the things are vanquished. Everything's good. Everything's bad. Blah, blah, blah. Did I miss anything? I mean, yes, but, you know, you, you, you got it in a, for a nice little 30-second summary. Sure. Yeah. Although I don't know I'd say Scarlet Witch. I mean, she, she probably, I suppose, yeah, she went full-blown evil, but it was a, not quite, it was a little more nuanced, I suppose you could say, kind of like Killmonger and 
Well, you know, here's where I'm going to debate. I think one of the biggest things, the other things the movie got panned for is a lot of people said that it was kind of negating what kind of, I don't know, character arc that Scarlet Witch had in WandaVision. I would I would highly disagree with that. I don't I like to very much go and say that you know everybody thought hey at the end of you know Scarlet Witch you know she kind of redeemed herself. No she didn't really. She just beat another bad guy. But even as you remember like the end of WandaVision her leaving, you know, the town and all the people looking at her with great disdain because of how she manipulated them for just whatever traumatic, you know, imaginary world she wanted to create for the most part. She was never really the hero or the protagonist. You felt bad for her, I think, in the tragic kind of sense itself. But she still left that show a bad guy. I mean, would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I know definitely. And can you hear me, by the way? Yes, I can. Okay, good. I, my, I cut out there for like the first part of what you were saying and then came back in. It was really weird. So good. I'm glad no, I'm here. Wanda, um, Wanda's not happy with what I was saying. So she just blinked you out of existence. That could very well be. Um but no, I agree. I mean, she definitely, you know, not the good guy, kind of in this weird gray area. I mean, you know, maybe not even a city gray area after WandaVision. Um, we're just dealing with grief and everything that happened and not the best ways. And I think this is just a kind of a continuation of that. Um, and I think they did a good job. Like, I don't think it was, you know, she was portrayed in a realistic way. She wasn't like, I want to take over the world because, you know, I just deserve to rule it. You know, she just wanted to go get her kids back. And was a little bit unhinged about it, and they even kind of had an explanation for that, that the Darkhold kind of got a hold of her and was messing with her. She was still traumatized. I mean, that's part of yeah. it, is she had a family that wasn't real and lost and was traumatized. And, you know, I, I think that's where a lot of people were like, oh, they, that was horrible what they did to Wanda. It's like, listen, after WandaVision, she was never going to go back and join the Avengers. I mean, the Avengers can't turn an eye to what she did to an entire town. You know, so the whole reveal of her being, I think more or less the primary bad guy. It wasn't necessarily, I think, out of left field or out of character, but no. I know some people took exception to it, like, oh, you know, they're just making her a bad guy for no reason. No, she was a bad guy already for a reason. And Yeah, no, and then Mariah, my wife, is one of them. She was, she, I don't know, she hasn't seen it yet, and she's she's one that goes out and looks for spoilers when she can because she likes to know what's coming coming up and doesn't like to be surprised. And, and she was a big Wanda fan, but, you know, was not happy with when she read about how she was, you know, the... The bad guy, and even though I kind of told him, like, yeah, there's a little bit more to it than that, and she doesn't end up as the bad guy, and she's like, yeah, but she dies at the end. I'm like, well, she dies with big air quotes because, you know, there's no way that if she can take on Thanos and can do all the stuff she did in this movie that a little rock slide is going to do her in. Um, but, yeah, and that's one thing, you know, speaking of Wanda 2, I think that's one thing I had heard that some people didn't like is that, you know, if you hadn't seen WandaVision before this you'd be completely lost on a lot of stuff, like on her character development, stuff like that. And I think we it's interesting that we've kind of gotten to the point in the Marvel Universe where there is that continuity where you do have to have seen some things to get the full story. And they're not going to baby step you through that. You know, like we didn't get a two-minute, you know, exposition part of, this is what Wanda's been up to since, you know, Avengers Endgame. And, you know, that kind of spoon-fed you the what was happening there. You know, they actually kind of just like, no, we're going to assume that they saw it and we're just going to kind of keep plowing ahead because we don't need that plotting exposition in our movie. Um and I'm glad they did because it would just it would have been awkward to have to kind of explain that for people that haven't seen it. Well, that's an interesting thing there. I mean, what you just said right there. I mean, how many MCU movies or TV shows could truly operate as a standalone entity at this point? There's not many that I could probably think of that don't rely as much on the weight of other things. 
there's there's maybe some little nudge nudge wink winks, but nothing I think that would ever really necessitate having like maybe the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I don't think you need to have that much of the Mar- MCU, you know, to be able to understand no, that. I movie would say Shang Shang Chi wouldn't, you know, there's not a lot there right. that you need. You know, it helps, but it's you know not necessary. I, I think Eternals probably needed more from the rest of the MCU in order for it not maybe be as long and boring as it did at certain points. I don't know that needed more MCU connection. I think that just needed more room to breathe. Right. But I, I, I think overall, to your point right there, you're right. I think some people may have been lost on that. But I also like to think that anybody who is watching that movie isn't somebody that's probably... Going back to what I said earlier about the levels of fandom, I think anybody who's seen that movie is in that casual level where they've probably seen most other related things to it at this point. Yeah, you're not going to go and see the second Doctor Strange movie just on like, oh, let's go see this. I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I'll just check out this Doctor Strange movie. Like, yeah, your chances are you've seen most of it. Um, and even if you haven't seen like WandaVision, for example, you can probably at least like, oh, something happened. And, you know, and heck, maybe that's going to drive you to go back and get some Disney Plus and watch it. A few other, I think, call outs from the movie itself, things that I thought were kind of nice touches. I kind of like how, and this is maybe interesting, Wong is really becoming the center of the MCU at this point. I mean, he, yeah, he's, he's he, kind of all over the place. He he was in Shang-Chi. He's been in like all these other different things. And when you think about it, you know, he's still the Sorcerer Supreme at the end of, you know, Doctor Strange. Beginning he is, you think, oh, maybe Strange takes over. No, he doesn't. Wong's still in charge at the end of it right there. So I, I think it's interesting doing something like that. And maybe that's good because what that does, and I think the end of the movie too, kind of, you know, with the end, uh, end credit scene on there, I think it frees up Dr. Strange to let him explore instead of like, oh, I must yeah. protect this plane of existence. Now he's able to kind of go out and about and do a lot of different things. So very Yeah, in- no, I agree. I think... I think I prefer it this way too, where you've got Wong over there being the Sorcerer Supreme, and he's you know a great character, you know, and acted really well. But like you said, it frees up Doctor Strange to kind of do his own stuff, whereas it's not like, well, isn't he the Sorcerer Supreme? Shouldn't he be keeping an eye on things on Earth or doing this? Whereas now it's like, yeah, he's kind of just off doing whatever, and you know, doesn't have to worry about all that responsibility. And maybe he'll get it back someday, but you know, maybe not. Who cares? Um, I would say touching on the one of the bigger reveals, that being of the Illuminati, um. Uh, you know, I think everybody kind of assumed that, all right, we all knew Patrick Stewart was going to be in there. I think seeing, you know, John Krasinski in there, that I think was definitely one of those big moments right there, especially since you're seeing him in there as Mr. Fantastic. And I think that's just uh, definitely a huge step. And what this does hopefully is opens up that he'll play Mr. Fantastic in just a movie at this point. I mean, I don't see how he doesn't. No, I imagine that hopefully the you know couple months down the road maybe they'll announce that you know hey we're making a Fantastic Four movie for real this time and you know John Krasinski is going to be you know Mr. Fantastic Reed and you know I think have, haven't that hasn't been rumored that Emily Blunt his wife is going to be Sue I think something like that yeah you know which I'd be fine with but uh but I think this is kind of an interesting way too for them to kind of introduce the Fantastic Four in a way without, you know, like maybe this will let them kind of shorthand some of that origin stuff that, you know, so the first movie can maybe kind of be its own thing. Like, you know, hey, we've already brought him in. People are kind of familiar with him, so maybe we can just, you know, not go through the whole origin thing. You know, kind of like with with Spider-Man, when they introduced him, we didn't get his origin, which I was fine with. I think a lot of people are fine with, you know, I think the Fantastic Four can kind of be similar. Maybe we just get something quick or, or whatever, but I think it's, 
but having them be introduced this way, I think might open up a few doors for them. Well, I think the biggest door, I think the biggest benefit of this whole scene itself is this, is that I think they've also opened the door if they ever want to replace any of their characters. Like as an example, all right, you don't have the Steve Rogers anymore because Chris you know, Evans has moved on to other things. Guess what? You can bring in a different Captain America from the multiverse, and it's a great way to introduce him back or have a different person come back as Iron Man. So for actors that have moved on or aged out of their roles, it's a way to bring in other characters from like other multiverses to still fulfill those roles because that's, I think, kind of the issue that some people are concerned about is they're kind of cycling out all these old MCU characters because they've been doing it for over 10 years or so. So I think it's so now, a good way to help, help keep it fresh. So now having said that, do you think, let's let's make a bold prediction here that, you know, we, we were just talking about the Avengers Assemble moment for, you know, which was basically the culmination of that that era, you know, the, the Infinity Saga for for Avengers. Do you think at the end of this one, say when we get to Kang, do you think we're going to get some a similar portal moment or something, you know, they're not going to completely rip it off, but like where we get all these multiverse characters, you know, we get Captain Carter, we get the different Spider-Mans, we get, you know, maybe we could see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine come through a portal and, you know, like maybe that's this, you know, this phase is big and climactic thing as we get to see all these, you know, multiverse heroes, you know, some that we've seen, some that we haven't, you know, we get to see Miles Morales or whoever else pop through all these different portals and, and for this big and climactic fight. I don't know. I, I think part of it is this. I think the past year, the movies have not been kind to Marvel. And there's something I'm going to touch on later down the line this episode when we talk about another thing. And I'll kind of tie it back to it. But, you know, Black Widow was good enough for what it was. But I think there were some inherent flaws with it. You know, Eternals, We I think we both agree there was just some flaws because of how much it tried cramming in there. I think you look at the MCU series, and the MCU series are the ones that have probably shined the most. And I think that's going to be the big thing at this point right now is I think, you know, Marvel's kind of at a weird point where what what do you make a movie out of at this point? I You have, like, of course, you know, Thor, Love, and Thunder, and I think that one, that's going to do, I think, perfectly fine. You have, you know, the upcoming, like, you know, Wakanda, Black Panther, you know, movie, which, again, I think the problem is, is having lost, you know, Jack with Bozeman, you know, it makes it, I think, an odd transition to try to figure out where to go from there. A lot of sequels are kind of coming out at this point. So I think Marvel right now is trying to feel out some things, trying to get an idea of what can we do and what can we do maybe that won't have our fans or viewers crapping all over us at this point. I think that's the hard part right there is that yeah. you can't do it so ham-fisted where like, hey, guys, look, it's me, Captain America. And it's like, oh, no, it's who who would be somebody young that they would have to play Captain America? I don't know. I don't even know. I'm, I'm old and don't know any young actors. Um, no, but I think I agree. I think it's right now there's kind of this weird balance between we're getting some of these movies and TV shows. Like, you know, we get Moon Knight introduced, which I still need to watch, actually, by the way. What? Um, I know. Crazy. Um, You know, we get Shang-Chi, and I think, you know, who else do we have coming? Is there another movie coming up later this year? No, that must be next year or something. Yeah. But the, there's kind of this, we've got new characters getting introduced here and there, but also sequels to a lot of the secondary characters, you know, like Doctor Strange, who I think, you know, arguably after this one is probably more of a primary character. Um, you know, we've got another Ant-Man movie coming up. Um, but it's a lot of new introductions and a lot of just like kind of second tier 
sequels and whatnot. So yeah, it is kind of just an interesting landscape that they've got out well, there and then stuff going up on Disney plus as well. That's e- even with like know. she Hulk now with, you know, kind of almost the passing of the torch from like, you know, uh, Mark Ruffalo's, you know, Bruce Banner to, you know, now having Jennifer Walters, you know, possibly the person that replaces uh, the Hulk, you know, you, you have that, which of course, you know, again, you're transitioning. There is the announcements that they are in development of a new daredevil show featuring, uh, Oh my God, why am I blanking on him? Charlie Cox? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Charlie Cox. So, you know, you're at least bringing him in, but I feel that's adequate. I mean, you know, it is possible too that, you know, it, I know that like a lot of what they're trying to do is going into more of the cosmic level as your level of threat that you have. I wouldn't even have a problem if they went more street level. And granted, maybe kind of touching more of the ground that some of the Netflix shows did where you have characters like Spider-Man, Daredevil, dealing with characters like the Kingpin and other, you know, not so grand. I think the problem is is maybe the mar- one of the biggest problems Marvel has had is it's gone too top shelf with some of its threats that really at some point it's like there's this giant cosmic threat. And like, yeah, there's always one of those. I mean, really, where you the where you go after this at this point is you almost have to go, you know, either beyond Kang as you're going to Galactus. That's where you almost have to go next. When yeah. It comes to that. Well, I think too, what's interesting is they're almost kind of in the background assembling these different teams. Where I could almost see it where the Marvel universe gets to a point where kind of you know where you maybe don't watch everything, you know, because like, I mean, when you think about it, there's they're kind of assembling the Thunderbolts in the back, you know, with. Uh, Yelena and with U.S. Agent and all those people, you know, whoever else, I can't remember who else they've got on there. You've also got pretty much all of the young Avengers have been introduced, you know, plus all these second tier Avengers that are kind of taken, you know, front and center since Tony Stark and uh, Steve Rogers are all gone. So I can all see where like, you know, okay, Disney Plus, we're going to do young Avengers here. And maybe some people are like, yeah, I don't really care about that. And maybe that's fine because maybe the young Avengers don't have anything to do with what Doctor Strange is doing in Doctor Strange 3. So... I can also, you know, and also like you kind of mentioned, we've got cosmic stuff going on too with, you know, Captain Marvel out in space with Nick Fury, which we're going to get that secret, secret, uh, secret invasion coming up later this year, I want to say, or maybe early next year. I can't remember when that's coming out, um, which should be interesting as well. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire. Um, I think one of the last, I think positive points to bring up. End credit scene, you know, seeing Clea, you know, make her MCU debut with Charlize Theron. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Good. She's a great actress. Bring her in. Yes, yes. That should be that should be cool stuff. I also want to mention that the music fight was Sam Raimi as hell and was freaking awesome. Like, at first when it started, I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of lame. But then just the way the music played into everything. So I would, I want to mention that the music fight in with the two Doctor Stranges was, was pretty badass. It, was there anything about the movie you didn't like? Um, I'm sure there was, but it was fairly minor. I mean, I don't want to say it's the perfect movie and I've only seen it the one time so far. Um, like it's, you know, yeah, like I said, it's not perfect, but nothing I can recall at the moment. I I would say, I'd say that the only thing I think was one of the biggest misses for me and it was one of those moments where it's the most Raimi-esque moment it could be, but also it felt so out of place was the pizza papa scene. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little not not the best Bruce Campbell cameo. No, it just kind of felt way out of over the top. It almost felt like a bad Mad TV sketch. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. But I mean, outside of that, I'd say overall, uh, you know, I would definitely put it maybe in my top third of Marvel movies at this point. I 
I feel pretty good and confident about saying I think it was definitely well above average. I think there was just a lot of nice, good character, you know, driven points. I think I don't think there really was that much waste in the movie for the most part. Some people have had criticisms like, oh, well, how can you call it multiverse when they've only been to like three different dimensions? Like, oh, okay. Technically, they went through like a dozen of them in that one scene. True. So, you know. But no, yeah, I would say, yeah, probably top five for me, you know, somewhere in there. But it's, yeah, definitely good stuff. And again, once it's once it's settled down a bit and it's not the, the hot new thing, maybe it'll fall down a little bit further. But it's pretty damn solid, so I don't think so. Yeah, it'll probably easily get bumped by Thor Love and Thunder when that comes out in another month or two. Yeah, that should be pretty cool. Right. All right, moving on. Uh, also, this past Friday from when we recorded this episode is the debut of Obi-Wan, the first two episodes of the series. Um, I'm going to say a statement that sounds bold in some ways, but really it's become the reality and truth. And this almost falls true almost also with a lot of just even the MCU shows. Stop making movies. Don't make Star Wars movies anymore. Just make actual Disney Plus series. Let the characters breathe and develop, because I think that's why a show like Obi-Wan, the first two episodes, is so great, is you're seeing just this nice character development that doesn't feel like... It's a not forcing like a movie have to having to be two hours and that two two and a half plus hours just because you need that length to make everything develop and work out. No, just let it be a show. Let it breathe. Let it do its thing right there. Don't need to do anything like that with Star Wars. Just you know, make series. And MCU, they've almost already proven that. Look, we can make nothing but series. You know, some of these series, and I feel that their series they've made over the past year and a half have been far superior than the majority of the movies they've made over the past year and a half. So that's my first yeah. endorsement for Obi-Wan is, you know what? Don't make movies anymore. You know, Star Wars and Disney, just make I series. Mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to say you're wrong. Um, as much as it's nice to go see Star Wars in the theaters and stuff like that, I mean, the last one left a pretty bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. And I think you're right. I mean, like between Mandalorian, you know, Book of Boba Fett, which wasn't, you know, as good as some of the other stuff we've gotten, was still pretty decent. Um, the first two episodes of this, we got the trailer for Andor a few days ago, which was something when they first announced, I was like, eh, who cares? But you know, after having seen that, um, you know, I'm interested to see what that is. And that's another one that, like, you know, in a two and a half hour movie, like, you probably couldn't do that justice. But if you, like you said, let that breathe and give it some more space to tell stories and, you know, maybe do a season or two of it and then get out. You know, you can make it a lot more, give it a lot more punch behind what you're doing and get the get the story out that you want to do where you're not, like you said, constrained to that time frame and having to hit certain beats. You can kind of do what you want to do and take take your sweet, sweet old time with it. But, uh, but yeah, and I remember hearing somewhere somewhat recently where, you know, this was actually, you know, Obi-Wan was supposed to be a movie, um, but then they switched it over to this. And I think that was probably the, the better choice to make. I mean, obviously, we're only two episodes into this, but. You know, I I have a hard time seeing this being put into a movie. I think they would have to cut a hell of a lot. Yep. Quick uh, one-minute synopsis of the first two episodes of Obi-Wan are pretty simple. Ten years after, of course, the events of Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan is currently on Tatooine, keeping an eye on uh, Luke Skywalker. But Lars does not appreciate that. But in the meantime, in the background, you have, of course, the Inquisitors trying to hunt down the remainder of the Jedi. You also see a lot of various intrigue and everything going on in the planet of Alderaan, where, of course... You meet, of course, you know, re get reintroduced with Bail Organa as well as Leia, who's being then, of course, kidnapped and uses bait to try to help draw Obi Wan out by one of the Inquisitors. And in the process, we discover that Obi Wan did not know that Anakin survived Mustafar burning, and that that is pretty much what sums it up right here. Best uh, 
I think the best twist of this series so far, I like how it doesn't follow Luke. I like how it's actually now become a Leia-centric thing where it's like, hey, yeah, Obi-Wan was there watching Luke. But there was still Leia out there, too. And I think that's a nice swerve. Yeah. I think I wasn't necessarily expecting it to follow Luke, per se. I mean, it certainly easily could have. I think that would have been the easy way out. Um, but I was definitely surprised to see... Well, A, I was surprised to see her at all, see, you know, 10-year-old Leia at all. But then to see her so much the focus of these first two episodes, I mean, it's basically like almost like that second episode is basically like a, you know, Obi-Wan and Leia buddy movie. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, that was that caught me by surprise. I mean, I was, when they went to Alderaan, I was like, holy shit, we're actually getting to see Alderaan because I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've seen Alderaan on screen. It is. You know, that might have been like in Clone Wars or something well, like no, that. Well, no, we've uh, seen it on screen before, just in pieces. Well, yes, accurate. <laughs> Lots and lots of tiny pieces. Right. That's of almost uh, a thousand yes. voices cried out at once and then were silenced. Indeed. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a great first couple episodes. Um, again, uh, almost like a mini movie, which is probably a good reason why they put out these first two together. I'll be curious to see where it goes from here. I, I think one of the things I, one of the core things I love about this, and it's one of the things I loved about The Last Jedi that I know irritated a lot of people. One thing I loved about The Last Jedi is that it kind of also dealt with how Luke was coping with his failure, how he tried to do something grand and he, what he thought was right. In the turn, he failed, and it really was just him trying to come to terms with a lot of that failure and trying to help move himself on. And I kind of like that almost in Obi-Wan, too, is that here you have Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's living with the failure that his behaviors and actions of not just him but the Jedi Order itself – led to Palpatine being able to seize control of the world and forced him to turn on one of his, his former students. And here he is just so full of doubt of himself that even like when approached by Bale about trying to help find Leia, it's like he's not the same person he is. You're right. You know, he'd rather almost wallow. He still has, yeah. I think, the heart and compassion for Luke, but he also is just looking for the comfort of not being part of something big anymore because the last time he was, it didn't work out for him. And I kind of like that. I, I like that disgruntled Jedi aspect of it because if you're the Jedi, yeah, you you guys screwed up pretty hard, you know? I mean, the arrogance of the Jedi is the reason why they all died. No, yeah, I mean, it was definitely interesting to see, like, when that, you know... Jedi found him in the desert there, and Obi-Wan, you know, instead of being like, oh, come to me, you know, hang out with me. I've got this cave you can hide here. He's like, no, dude, just go bury your lightsaber out in the middle of the desert, which is literally what he did, and just go run and hide, not like, you know, we can beat these Inquisitors. We'll chase them out of, you know, Tatooine, and we'll get them out of here. He's like, no, just we we screwed up. We failed. Like, just he's at just clearly the lowest point that he's been in. Oh. And just I'll be curious to see, like, how he deals with that, and, you know, he'll probably obviously get a little bit out of it but i mean it's not like he's all sunshine and roses when we see him in you know a new hope well and i think another interesting aspect of you know the show itself it almost makes you wonder like you know in the end of revenge of the sith he gave you know luke over to like you know baru and you know lars and just saying you know here you know raise him you almost kind of get the feeling that you know in the obi-wan series he had regret that maybe he wanted to be a father and if you watched uh, the Clone War series, you realize he did come close once to walking away the or from the Jedi Order to try to pursue a relationship. And you sit there and like look at the amount of just you know how fatherly he wants to be to Luke itself. 
you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic right there where you almost just feel regret. Like, what if I just not given him to, like, you know, Lars? And what if I just raised Luke himself? But in his head, it's like, I would have just created more danger for him if I would have done that, too. Yeah, and just his, like you, we had mentioned before, his reluctance to go help Leia. Like, he's like, no, I can't leave Luke here. Like, he does he he doesn't want to risk letting him down so much that he's willing to just write off lay and be like, you know, bail. Hey, you're a Senator. You're, you know, the ruler of a planet, you know, you've obviously got resources, go fix this on your own. Like he's, you know, he's willing to shut off this other person that, you know, is, you know, potentially just as important as Luke is. And as far as they know, at that point, you know, she is just as important as Luke is. Um, so yeah, just some interesting stuff there. I do like, I think, the beginning part of the series, too, where you see, like, the siege in the Jedi Temple. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that the, you know, Knight sister, she was probably one of those Padawans, right? Yeah, there's a good chance of that. I'm sure I'm sure that's going to come up at some point, and we'll find out that, you know, she's got this mad on for Obi-Wan because of something that happened there, maybe something... You know, they've, there's clearly something, you know, like the other Inquisitors, like, oh, you want to hunt down Obi-Wan because you want to get, to, you know, Lord Vader's approval and whatever. But I think there's something more there that this is more than just I want to be the best Inquisitor. I want to be seen as, you know, the best in Lord Vader's eyes. I think there's there's something personal here, and whether it's something that happened at that the Jedi Temple there when, you know, the clone troopers were taking over or something that happened, you know, just before that, you know, I'll be curious to see what her what her backstory is and they you know they didn't show us that scene at the temple just uh for nothing you know i think there's there's something there because you know that's not something that we're you know we've we've seen that before on other forums and it wasn't something we necessarily needed to see again so i think there's a reason they put that there yeah i i think maybe it's safe to say like the jedi that you know sought you know was being chased by you know the, the inquisitor Maybe even, you know, the Night Sister itself, they were both maybe Padawans that escaped, but they went in different paths. One was maybe caught by the Empire, and eventually, you know, they used her anger of the Order, letting her down to, you know, do that. Whereas the other guy went on, you know, tried doing Jedi things, but, you know, his past caught up to him as well. Yes. So what did you, what did you think about the Inquisitors? Interesting. I mean, I think, it, I think one thing that's, I think, a nice touch on it is that... With the Inquisitors, it's almost along the lines that when you see them, you see that there's different levels, I think, of intensity. And you have to almost think of it in a sense. Like The whole thing about Sith is this. It's all about power. So to see them kind of all jockeying for a position or trying to maintain levels of control, you know, it, it makes sense, I guess. You know, and I think, you know, if you're Palpatine, too, that's why you tolerate it. It's like have all these Inquisitors kind of fighting amongst themselves ultimately they're all inconsequential to palpatine but they'll do his bidding they just don't realize that they're just pieces on a chessboard yeah i thought i I agree i think it was interesting to see them you know i mean technically they're not sith but clearly like if something happens to vader you know that's something that he can you know be like oh vader's gone but i've got this nice little pool of other dark jedi i can pick the best of them the grand inquisitor whoever it happens to be um you know, it's kind of one of those things where if they end up, you know, if they get in some spat, which, you know, they did in the one and somebody kills another, well, then clearly they weren't strong enough to be an Inquisitor. So, you know, whatever, not the end of the world, um, which I'll, and I'll be curious, speaking of which, to see what ends up happening, because we've obviously seen that Inquisitor in Rebels and what happens. We'll be curious to see if this is, you know, what, how they spin that. Right. If it's the same one or if he survived his injuries. Um Another thing I liked about the series, too, that's, again, I think a callback to The Last Jedi, which I get it, people didn't like it as much, but I loved The Last Jedi, 
And I think you saw like when Obi-Wan's trying to use the force, is struggling with it, and his surprise that Anakin's still alive, you almost get the feeling that much like Luke did, you know, when he was in The Last Jedi, that Obi-Wan shut himself off to the force, if only maybe not to be found or, you know, just to make sure that he just wasn't part of something that maybe caused him pain before. Yeah, and I'll be curious to see, like, you know, some of all those people are like, oh, Luke wouldn't have done that. He would have gone off and hidden. It's like, you know, like the people that, and now they're maybe like, oh, this Obi-Wan series is awesome. Like, oh, you mean the one where Obi-Wan, like, gets disillusioned by the Jedi Order and goes off and just kind of hides and, you know, doesn't really do anything Force-related or, you know, just kind of besmirches the whole thing? It's like, well, oh, that, that sounds familiar. Hmm, weird, 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 weird. Yeah, I, I think overall the first two episodes very solid. I will say seeing Flea in this series was an yeah. interesting thing. He did fine, but it was like when they because it was weird because the first time they showed him it was like from the back of the you know we just saw the back of his head, and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's going to be a character that you know that we know that they just don't want to show us the face of or something like that. Then when they finally do show his face, I'm like, oh, it's Flea. It kind of took me out of it a little bit, but not you know. Nothing too bad. The problem is you can't put Flea into something like that because he's too recognizable. I think the same thing with, uh, uh, God, Konami. Why can't I never say his name? I'm having problems with names today. Who? You know, the fake Jedi. Oh, uh, Kumal Nanjiani. Yeah, I was going to butcher his name and I didn't want to. Yeah. Like, he he felt shoehorned into the series a little. That would, I'd say, be actually one of the low points was him being in there because... It was just, a, yeah. he was a weird, like, you know, Dayak Machina kind of character where, like, oh, now I'm going to help you escape. And the whole time you're just waiting for him to betray him, but it never kind of happened. And you kind of wished he died. Yeah, it seemed odd. It almost seemed like, you know, he had like a buddy who worked on writing the scripts or something like that. I was like, hey, I'll write this little part in for you and we'll get you, you know, we'll get you in Star Wars. Cause it, yeah, it didn't seem necessary. And it just, it didn't feel like that was a separate, that felt like, Kumal Nanjiani in Star Wars, as opposed to whatever character, you know, whatever the character's name he was supposed to be playing, you know, that's who he was. It did feel a little weird. Um, Tagging back yeah. to Flea, it's kind of weird in how many movies that Flea has been in. I know he's been in Big Lebowski. What else has he been in that I'm forgetting about? He was in Big Lebowski. He was in Back to the Future 2 as one of the punk gang oh, yeah. guys, or in like also in the third one. Um, he was in the Charlie Sheen, Christy Swanson movie, The Chase, him and God, there's one other movie he was in. I'm trying to remember what it was, but yeah, you got to make that side money. I suppose that chili pup chili pepper money ain't going to keep printing itself. Nope. So yeah, that was the first two episodes. You got about another four episodes or so, and they're very clear about it being, you know, a limited series and. I think that's good. I don't. I think you want, it's good to kind of tag back to what was going on with Obi Wan, you know, in between, you know, the Clone Wars and to the actual, you know, rebellion. Um, I think it's interesting. Like another thing that was just announced is that with the new Ahsoka series coming out, that they're going to have the live action version characters of the Rebels on there, you know. So I think definitely the series is veering into a lot of like you know kind of the Dave Filoni stuff where right now it almost feels like Dave Filoni is right now the gospel writer of all of Star Wars at this point or has so much yeah. of his influence into everything. And I, I was thinking actually the other day, um, 
we had discussed, you know, previously that we were like, oh, you know, Dave Filoni and John Favreau should be in charge of, you know, basically everything creative. But I think we both kind of agreed that they shouldn't be the ones like running Lucasfilm. And then it kind of thought, I mean, I do, I, this is probably not going to happen, but they do have Kevin Feige working on a Star Wars movie, and he'd be somebody I could almost see taking over. Like, maybe he's, you know, like, hey, you know, I've done my bit on Marvel, MCU, running that whole shabazz. I could see him taking over Lucasfilm in the Kathleen Kennedy respect and kind of, like, being that overseeing thing, and he'd be somebody that could do it. And then, you know, he has Favreau and Filoni and whoever else, you know, below him. You know, so maybe once he makes this, you know, Star Wars movie, I think, I don't know if it's supposed to be one or if he's doing a trilogy or a couple movies or what he's doing, but he's definitely working on one. And he's somebody who I was like, you know, I could kind of see Feige stepping into that Kathleen Kennedy role. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good views. Uh, I mean, from the nerd front right now, the next Marvel movie is going to be, you know, Love and Thunder and the next uh, Andor, I think the next Marvel series then, or not Marvel, Disney Star Wars series. Yeah, Andor comes out... Was it August? It's this. It's this year. It's later this year. I forget exactly when. Right. And then I think we get. I think we get the Black Panther movie this year too. I want to say like at the end of the year. So we'll probably get a trailer for that sometime. I mean, heck, it might even be on the throne. It probably won't be on. It's weird how movie. It used to be back before the internet was a huge thing. It used to be like, oh, they're going to put the Black Panther trailer on the new Thor movie. Now they just kind of drop the trailers. You know, whenever they feel like it. So I imagine maybe the first couple weeks after Thor comes out, we'll probably get a trailer for that. Although. I when I saw Doctor Strange, there was a trailer that I felt was the debut of a trailer that I don't recall seeing anywhere else. It was the Avatar Two trailer, in which my mental initial response is, "Oh, why? I don't yeah. like Avatar." Yeah, that was that dropped like a week or two before that, but I did. It may just it wasn't long before that. I remember seeing it online, like, "Hey, the Avatar trailer's here." I'm like, "I don't care. I'm not going to bother clicking on this link to watch it." But I never got the love for Avatar. No, like, you I wanna... mean I'll give it that, like the 3D and the the advance in technology are great, but just the movie itself, like the plot, was just so wrote and you know just i did not care for it at all and i have zero desire to see these new ones whatsoever it wasn't until a year and a half ago that i first watched avatar it was like for some reason i was on something and i decided i'm just gonna sit here and watch it and the whole time i was just sitting there and it was just like nails on a chalkboard for me and but even before this like my only experience with avatar before was like how when I was in Florida, Disney, we went to the Animal Kingdom, and they had like a whole Avatar thing there too. And I went there, and I'm like, I don't know what any of these characters are. I I really don't care. I, yeah, it it's yeah. it it just feels like a weird metaphor world of just things I don't care about. And yeah, I I saw the original one in the theaters. Three, it's one of the few ones I've seen in 3D. Just because I generally don't care for 3D. Um, and like I said, I'll give it that that was pretty cool, but. But the rest of it, yeah, and these new ones, unless I hear like, oh, my God, these are so amazing and such a departure from the original movie, like, I'm probably not going to bother. You know, it would be great if it, you know, as an original departure from the first movie, it's like, yeah, well, you know, the characters in Avatar, they decided to open up, uh, you know, a taco stand in a strip mall. I'm like, yeah, you know what, maybe I'll go see it then. I'll go check that out. Yeah. Blue guys serving tacos. Awesome. But yeah, that that was a trailer I saw that I didn't know it was coming, and I'm like, mm, no, don't, don't yeah, care exactly. Just don't care. I don't Indeed. care. Much like the last Matrix movie, mm-hmm. although you watched that one, I didn't. I'm, I'll tell you this: like, there's there's always like those movies like I I'm not gonna see it. I'm not gonna willfully see it 
for I'm going to see it, I have to be in like a certain just depressed, cynical mood for it to happen. I, I have to hate myself in a certain way. Right. I think the next like movie that will probably qualify for that kind of level of just self-loathing to tolerate would be Morbius. Probably watching that through the lens of yeah. just apathy where it's like, it's on, my remote is like 10 feet away. Fine. Oh. Or, or Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. I heard mixed things about that. I, you know, I heard Likewise, it was. I, I heard it wasn't that bad, but I think part of it is I just don't want to wade into that part of the Spider Verse where I just don't care about any of it. Yeah, like I watched the for the original Venom and it was fine, but I didn't like it enough that I'm like, oh, I got to see the sequel now. I watched like the first twenty minutes of the original Venom. I'm like, mm, I got to go to the bathroom, and then I never came back. Yeah, that'll happen. Mm-hmm. It's- it's like maybe maybe I should just consider Venom for what it is. A very subtle, gentle laxative that just helped me empty my bowels. There you go. It accomplished something. Man, I just feel like just sitting here dissing like a whole bunch of things. <laughs> we'll just do the negative. Every other one will have a, be our negative get out the hate podcast. I, honestly, the, the next thing that I... Another thing that's coming out that I sit there and I'm like, I don't want to go back into this is like the Lord of the Rings prequel and the Game of Thrones prequel. Neither of those two things. I'm like, I no, I just don't want to. I don't want to go back in the world of Lord of the Rings after the Hobbit series was such a flaming turd and that was just a piece of garbage. And with you know Game of Thrones, screw it, just finish the last few books. I don't really need to see how all these things happen, but here it is, and you, it's just, no. Yeah, and I'll, out of those two, I'm probably more interested in the Lord of the Rings thing, but, you know, it's also probably unnecessary. I mean, I'm I'm sure I'll watch it, or at least I'll start to watch it, unless it's hot garbage, and I probably won't bother with it. But, you know, and the Game of Thrones thing, yeah, I'll probably, that, that that's another one I'll probably wait and see what people say about it, and then maybe I'll watch it. But I didn't watch, like, the last five seasons of like, regular Game of Thrones, so I don't need to run in and see the prequel. Another thing that I would never see is like whatever the last of the Fantastic Beasts series, which really I saw the first one and the first one bored the living hell out of me. I heard the second one was just as bad. So like with the whole third one, you know, it's like, again, no, no. Even if you were to take the whole weird aspect of J.K. Rowling and just, you know, some of her, you know, views and stuff. The, these again, I think that's really what's just kind of turned me off now. It's just the, everything becoming like this weird, like prequel universe, and I'm just sick of it. I just don't care. I don't care about the fight between men and whatever back in like Lord of the Rings. I don't care about you know what happened before the events of Game of Thrones. I don't care what happened before the events of Harry Potter. And that's where everything just it's like, well, we we don't want to make new stuff. Let's just make old new stuff and just, you know, use the prequels and like no. that way we can put some characters that they know in and be like, "Hey, look, I know that guy and but still tell different stories." Hey, guess what? Here's a new He-Man series, but it takes place 200 years before the world of He-Man. Like, no. Just get to see He Man's great great grandpa. I don't want any of this, but you keep throwing it at me, jerks. Yeah, welcome to Hollywood today. Hey, guess what? They're not going to make a season Stranger Things season five. Instead, they're going to make a prequel. Like, no, no, they probably will. You say that in jest, but I'm sure we're going to get a Stranger Things prequel. 
that'll tell us how exactly all of the stuff that happened in whatever the hell that city's name that I can't think of right now happened. <laughs> you know what? I, I made a prequel today. You know what I did? I ate a piece of pizza. It was a prequel before I crap it out later. And you had know, you watched Venom to get it up, get it through the system. I, I had to watch Venom. To, I'm like, man, I'm kind of feeling a little constipated. Let me put on some Venom right now. And if if I wanted just to have a complete prolapsed anus, that's where I'll just watch like Morbius. There you go. <laughs> man, the the Sony Spider Man stuff. Good for your bowel movements. Mm-hmm. Good for your bowel movements. Prequels. When you want to hate something before it happens. Yes. I think we got through my mad hate fest at this point. Good job. I hope you feel better. I uh, I hope I do too. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for coming back. It's good to be back. Thanks for waiting for us, everybody. It's been a crazy last couple of months. Hopefully yeah. we can have a better schedule now. Here's hoping. You know, but hope in one hand, crap in the other. See what fills up first. I told, there's a guy I was training today. I used that phrase, and he's like, my dad used to always say that. I'm like, oh, God. Am I that old now? Shit. We're old. Well, I don't think of myself being old. Now, if you excuse me, I'm going to have a sensible lunch. I'm going to eat some grape nuts and yogurt and uh, uh, have a glass of Sanka. I'm going to go have some chamomile tea so it can go help me go to sleep. By the way, there's a Sanka's like, Twitter account. It's almost like a parody account where it's almost just making fun of how boring Sanka is. Oh, it's amazing to follow. I strongly recommend it. That does sound like good stuff. Then I'd have to join Twitter. It's almost on like the, the same level as like the nihilistic uh, Arby's Twitter account, which I also enjoy greatly. <laughs> where it's just Arby's, but what if they were just completely hating on humanity you know just like real arby's yeah only they do it with meat instead of tweets did you hear that arby's is releasing a wagyu like hamburger they wanted to have like a finally release a hamburger arby's but they wanted to make sure that it was worthy of arby's so apparently it's a wagyu beef hamburger at arby's is it going to cost like forty (laughs) dollars I don't know. I mean, I'd probably put it on the same level as getting, like, gas station, like, you know, sushi. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you want to get your Wagyu beef from Arby's, then you enjoy that and all that comes from it. You know, if you're ever having, like, you know, a colonoscopy and you want to, like, clear out your system, first you eat some Arby's Wagyu hamburgers, then you watch some Venom, and then just watch just all of your intestinal system just empty itself out. Make sure to drink plenty, yes. plenty of liquid. Good times. Kind of veered off in a weird place right now. You can tell we haven't done an episode in a while, or just we, because we did. The last ten minutes have been oddly poop centric. Oddly poop centric and hate centric. Hate centric. Can't wait till That's that good. Avatar prequel comes out. Hooray, folks! I'm Mike Spragle. and I'm John Lundquist. Thank you for joining our episode, which eventually turned into a parade of hate. Yes. We appreciate you sticking around until next time. Yes. Everybody have a good one.